everybody, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm Nick Savage, and it's Tuesday, March 27th. And I'm Jake Langlois, and we thank you for tuning in. Today is Election Day here at NC State. The polls are open until midnight, so if you haven't voted yet, be sure to do that. Your vote really does count and affects the way our universities run. You can vote at vote.ncsu.edu. Tonight, we have all three candidates currently running for student body president in the studio, so stick around. You do not want to miss this. In addition, our contributors were all over campus last week, including the Liberty in North Korea movie screening, the Ag Awareness Week celebrations, and the Impact Awards, as well as at the state fairgrounds last week to catch Herman Cain at the Wake County GOP convention. Let's turn to Jake for the latest in the news. Thanks, Nick. Arguments began yesterday for and against the health care bill passed two years ago at the Supreme Court. This court case has the potential to be one of the biggest cases in recent memory. The Supreme Court must decide whether the Affordable Health Care Act, renamed Obamacare by its critics, is constitutional or not. The crux of the argument lies in whether or not the government can legally mandate people buy health care, whether, whether through a government-run health care program or another private provider. Arguments are expected to resume tomorrow. The controversy over whether employers can legally demand an applicant's social media information continues to grow as two Democratic senators have requested U.S. Attorney Eric Holder to investigate whether said employers are violating federal law. The controversy began when Facebook publicly refused to release users' passwords to employers. And finally, President Obama landed in some hot water today after a live mic picked up a conversation the president was having with Russian President Dmitry Medvedev in South Korea. According to journalists present, Mr. Obama was overheard telling the Russian president to give him some space regarding missile defense until after the November election. Republican rival Mitt Romney has already pounced on this gaffe, saying that it is, quote, shows the president will, quote, cave to Russia on missile defense. And for this week's international perspective, we turn to DeAndre Jones. Thanks, Jake. Firstly, North Korea said Tuesday that it would not abandon its plan to carry out a satellite launch next month, despite recent warnings from President Barack Obama over the move. The North will not give up the satellite launch for peaceful purposes, which is a legitimate right of a sovereign state and requirement essential for economic development, Pyongyang's official Korean Central News Agency reported, citing the country's foreign ministry. During his visit to South Korea this week, Obama has, Obama has said that if North Korea moves forward with the launch, which Washington and Seoul said would, be, would bre- breach UN Security Council resolutions through the use of a long-range missile, it will further deepen its isolation, damage relations with its neighbors, and face additional sanctions that have already strangled the country. Next, Iraq is placing big stakes on the success of this week's Arab League summit in Baghdad. It is a recognition of the new Iraq that emerged since 2003 by its, new, by its new leaders, its new constitution, its new policies, its new political system at the heart of the Middle East, Iraqi Foreign Minister Hoshiar Zabari said Monday. This summit could truly be called the Arab Spring Summit, he declared. Previous summits included Arab leaders which no longer hold power due to the uprisings in several nations, including the, the late Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak, former Tunisian President Zini al-Abidin Ben Ali, and former Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh. Zabari described the summit as the most important event for Iraq. It will mark the first time Arab leaders have held the summit in Iraq since 1990. Finally, wrapping up his visit to Santiago de Cuba, Pope Benedict XVI landed in Havana on Tuesday amid speculation over whether he will meet with the island's former president, Fidel Castro. Church officials said Benedict is scheduled to visit again with President Raul Castro on Tuesday evening, along with his family. That meeting could include the president's famous older brother, who stepped down from power in 2006 after battling illness. Church officials said that Cuba's former leader has been invited to meet with Benedict. It's unclear, however, if that visit will take place. Thank you. Thanks, DeAndre. Joining us in the studio tonight are the three candidates currently running for student body president. 
Jonathan Smith, Andy Walsh, and Caroline Yap have all graciously agreed to meet with us to discuss some of the issues currently facing our university and what they would do if elected. So, if you guys would go ahead and introduce yourselves for me. I'm Andy Walsh. Thank you all so much for... Uh... Right. I guess okay. now I'm on. Thanks, thanks guys, for having me. <laughs> My name's Andy Walsh. Uh, I'm really excited to be here uh, and for the opportunity to run for student body president. I'm Caroline Young. I'm a junior studying agricultural sciences and communication, and I'm stoked because I've never been on radio before. I kind of feel like I'm on NPR, <laughs> so this is kind of cool. There you go. Uh, good evening, Wolfpack Country. My name is Jonathan Smith. I'm a junior major in agricultural education, and I'm excited to be here tonight to let you know I'm running for student body president. Thank you guys for coming. All right, so let's get down to business. The first question we have here for you guys is um, regarding the rally for tally that took place a couple years ago. Um, in this situation, the students um, mobilized themselves and kind of made themselves heard that they didn't want this to take place, and that was the whole point of the Rally for Tally movement. Um, and it kind of disillusioned a lot of people because they felt like this was the one time they got together, the one time they actually made themselves really, really uh, audible to, I guess, student government, and nothing really came of it. Um, it was kind of not, no action was taken. So what would you do or, or what, uh, what would you propose to fix that issue of the trust or effectiveness between the students and the student um, government, I suppose. If you could, if we could start with Robert. All right, awesome. Um, well, I'll have to say that I think the first and foremost uh, thing about this whole issue is we have to we have to do better with communication in student government. I think that that goes to going out to student groups and getting out of our offices in Harrelson Hall and actually going and speaking directly to smaller student groups and uh, and reaching out and seeing what what we're doing well and what what we're not doing well. And going back to that tally bill, Jonathan, Carolina, myself. Uh, we were all freshmen when that actually happened, and it was like our second week in student senate, and it was a very, very controversial time. And I know that we all voted yes for that bill, um, but you know we've learned. All three of us learned a lot since then. I know that, and I think that uh, it all starts with communication. And if we really go out and to students, I think we're going to make an impact and improve student government's appearance on campus. Yeah, I think I think Andy brought up a lot of great points because. We were freshmen. So I don't think that we really understood the concept of going out and speaking with constituents. That's something that really comes with time, and you really understand the importance as you go on. Um, as far as students mobilizing against it, um, it was really, really hard to dictate how many students were really against that project because it was a really poorly written referendum. Um, because if I mean, if you weren't here to vote for that referendum, it basically had three parts. It has three questions. Um, the last question was, of course, do you want to pay for it? And that's the one where a lot of people said overwhelmingly no. Um, the other two parts asked, would you want it? And do you see a benefit of this you know, on this campus? And those were overwhelmingly yes. So it was really hard from the perspective of the senators to really put those things, two things together because nobody wants to pay for anything, of course. Right. But students did see the need for it. Um, and as freshman senators, um, we were told that it would only get more expensive with time. And that if it didn't pass now, it would only get more expensive by millions of dollars every year. Because I think I think they were anticipating the economy being a little bit um, a little bit different than it actually was. But I, I think Andy hit the nail on the head: is going out and speaking to people, and then mobilizing them to vote. I think that's a problem. Around forty five hundred people vote every year, and that's about how many responses we get on those. And there are thirty four thousand students at this university, <laughs> exactly. so we need to do a better job of getting people to the polls and to really speak up um, against issues like tally that really impact everyone financially. Um, and their environment here at NC State. I think we can all agree that this was a dark spot in uh, student government's history uh, back in 2009, uh, and we've got to do a better job of collaborating with students. That's the basis of my platform is to be an advocate for every single student that walks on this campus, and we have to reach out. Student government cannot make the decision solely based upon their opinion uh, with 100 or 150 people that are working there. Uh, we have a 34,000, close to 34,000 uh, 
number of student body. We've got to get everybody possible involved in, in the decisions of student government so that we can have a unified voice. And that's something I'm, I've been working on and I will work for. Uh, currently, I serve as student centers president as a student body officer this uh, this year. And I've really been over my head in the tally project and what we've been doing. And uh, I hope people are getting excited about it. Yes, it was a dark spot in history. But now we have the opportunity to make this building uh, student-friendly and make it a building that students need and students want and have the services and the, and the things there that will take us to the next level of student life and transform that student life. Uh, of all the three candidates, I've worked more closely with that project than, than any of us have. And I'm excited to say that, you know, we, we there was a mistake. There, it wasn't a mistake, I don't believe. But it was a dark spot, and we, sh- we should have worked in- and collaborated more at that time. But now, as I've worked uh, over the last few years, I'm excited to say that we're taking student life to a whole new level in the future. And uh, generations of Wolfpack students by- after us will be able to use this building, and uh, it's going to be an awesome uh, part of our campus. Okay. Um, and very briefly, from the three of you, you guys all mentioned you guys want to have better communication with um, the constituents and the students of this campus. What would you do to ensure that their voices are heard and in the future something like this does not happen again? Well, first of all, I think referendums, uh, we've seen in the past, we really, if we're going to do a referendum, and we haven't done it in the last two years, uh, writing questions that I think are a little bit more favorable and, and, and easier for students to really interpret and easier for us to interpret as well. But I think what really comes down to getting uh, student government out of the chambers, senators and the executive branch. There, are, It's just like the federal government. We have three branches within student government. And really having student senators go out to student groups, especially the groups that they're supposed to represent in, within their colleges, and also the executive branch, getting them out and, and reaching out to, to constituents as, as well. And, and I think that just comes down to we breaking down where people really go and really reaching out to every group in every broad corner because we have a very diverse student body and a, and a very large student body. Yeah, I think I think one of the key things is going to student groups, um, particularly that represent an entire college. Um, we have awesome councils for each of the colleges, and they're really an effective way to connect with students in that college and to really hear the concerns and the needs of those that specific group of people. Um, and as a senator um, for the College of Ag and Life Sciences, I've regularly attended those council meetings, and it really puts into perspective a lot of things. So making sure that we're holding each other accountable within the branches, making sure that senators are going to their council meetings and really getting feedback from students. And then also from the executive branch, you know, and particularly student body president, they need to be going to things like that. They need to be physically at that meeting, not just sending representatives. Um, I think it's important to hear for yourself yeah. what students have to say. What about you? Uh, I have two, two thoughts on that. Uh, the first thought is this. Uh, I serve currently as the president of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences AgriLife Council. And I think the, I've seen the disconnect personally uh, this year because we've had student senators and student government officials that haven't taken the time uh, to interact with our council. You get a 60 or 70 representatives from the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences student body uh, that represent over 60% of people that are involved in clubs in that, council, or in, in that college. This is a great student body to interact with, and they'll give you feedback, but you have to go speak with them directly. So we need to do a better job of, from the executive branch and the, and the legislative branch to make sure that we make those connections. But also the second part, we've got to uh, transform how we interact with students. Uh, we've got to look at it from two different perspectives. We have a student government have to make an effort to reach down to leadership organizations such as college councils um, and, and diversity councils and so many different things on I believe every student that comes in here has the potential to be a great leader at this university, but we have to tap into that potential. But then also we have to to present student government as a body that will listen to the students. So we have to present an uh, access to student government that will allow 
the average student that walks on this campus to be able to contact student government and 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 have uh, commitment and and be bold in approaching student government. So we don't we don't, we're not the ones making decisions and bringing everything to the table. We have students that are speaking to us because they know who we are and they're open to discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so. Now turning to more social issues regarding things like the GLBT uh, vandalism incident last fall and a couple of years ago with the um, Freedom of Expression Tunnel. A lot of people are saying we need to restrict that. What what role do you guys think that student government needs to play in social life on campus? Do you believe that it needs to res- should be restricted to more fiscal issues or does the is there ever an appropriate time for student government to speak out on social issues regarding these kinds of things? Well, I'll say I think, um, you know, our political agenda being student body president is not left leaning, right leaning. It is to support students on campus. And I think that that is when, you know, it's appropriate for us to really reach into those types of issues. And it can be finicky sometimes and there can be a, a treading line. But if it's for students on this campus and for student groups, that's a conversation we always have to welcome. I mean, there are the students that we're supposed to be supporting on this campus and we have a very diverse student body. And, you know, when you're going into a role where you're supporting and, and trying to be the leader or in the student voice for 34,000 students, you have to be open to every conversation. I think that's very, very, very important. I think there's definitely a difference between being political and supporting being politically active. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a difference. So, like, for example, when we get caught up in political issues and we take a stance on those issues of student government and we speak for 34,000 people when there's not that many of us in the Senate chambers, mm-hmm. um, that, that's when I kind of have a problem with it. However, um, for example, the Student Senate has a public affairs committee, and they really work on getting people registered to vote. So understanding that's important to take a stance on social issues, but not taking that stance for students is really where the line's drawn. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, I've discussed with constituents uh, this during the last couple of weeks, and it's discouraged people, uh, is that we we have taken political ish, uh, stances as a university. Uh, the student senate has made those decisions, um, and that was one of, regarding uh, you know denouncing Amendment One to the North Carolina Constitution uh, this upcoming May. And I really believe truly that uh, students weren't happy with us making a decision for thirty four thousand people. Uh, and that be 50 people just about in the student senate that made that decision. And so it, though it, they broke it down, they showed whoever they sent it to, uh, how many senators voted yes and how many voted no. It's still after if you haven't talked to the people and to the students directly and got 34,000 opinions, you can't make an accurate you can't make an accurate uh, recommendation uh, to anybody regarding the issue. But uh, this semester and last semester as student senators president, I've got to interact with some great people, uh, the women's center and the GLPT center. Uh, and Multicultural Student Affairs and so many different programs on this campus. The African American Cultural Center, another great uh, diversity organization and program here on this campus. Uh, we need to reach out to them. They want they want to be heard, and uh, we've got to support them. Every single student that walks on this campus should feel like they have support behind them, that they have uh, a voice. And, and if, until we get to that point, you know, we're never going to have true equality on this campus. We're never going to have that open line of communication if everybody doesn't think they're on the same playing field. And I'll do that. Okay, so uh, very quickly, uh, do you do you believe that student body leaders have a responsibility to speak out on issues over which they have no direct influence, university university related or not, Jonathan? Uh, I truly believe that the student body president needs to um, work on tuition and fees at the state level. We have something called Associated Student Government that connects all student governments in the state. We need to advocate for that kind of thing, things that are relevant to students fiscally. But when it comes to social issues such as Amendment One. We need to step back and encourage others to make their own opinions and own statements through voting. 
Yeah, I, I would say definitely keeping in mind that you're representing every student on this campus, but also giving support to students that do come across hate crimes. Um, like, for example, when a community is, you know, is oppressed, as a student leader, I'm going to make sure to say that all students are welcome on this campus and that all have a place here at NC State. Um, do I necessarily impress my political beliefs upon other people? No. But can you move people to act? Yes. Well, I definitely think Jonathan made a great point about the tuition and fees. I think that is something that sometimes tuition, uh, a lot of it is driven downtown. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't have a student body president, a direct impact on the decisions legislators are making. But we can definitely take an advocating stance in getting downtown and speaking to legislators Mm -hmm. directly. And I think that's very important because we are representing students and me, myself, paying my way through uh, through college. It's expensive and I don't like taking out more student loans. And I think it's very, very important that we have students down there saying how it is affecting the classroom and what's going on in the classroom and our professors. And then looking at things that have happened this semester with student government, something like the smoking bill that came up. I think that blindsided a lot of people. I think it hurt student government's image. It wasn't really well researched at the time. And I think those are types of issues that we're not really going to make a a change for. And if you if you had taken the research and seen that. We probably shouldn't have ever, ever introduced that that bill on the table. Uh, and I think that hurts uh, just the student's image of what student government leaders are actually doing um, in most cases. Echoing what uh, Andy said, a lot of people uh, approached me about the smoking bill, and, and I'm president of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences Council. Um, and students were concerned about that because of the rich history we have here with, with the tobacco industry and the agriculture. It's a drive, one of our driving cash crops. Uh, so we need to respect that history, but I really feel the student senate, uh, some of those senators decided that they didn't like smoking on campus, so they were going to do something about it. And that, that's, that's good-hearted, I think. But we've got to do a better job of researching what we're fighting for. And that was a state law that could not be, could not be changed uh, at, at our level. It had to be changed at the General Assembly's level. Uh, so we have to research bills and make sure that if there's a policy – that it lines up with how we need to know how it change how we can change it here at the university, or if we need to advocate it separately statewide. But the student body president needs to con- control some of that and to keep everybody on the same task and understand what they're doing. So going back to the tuition and fees topic, I don't know if you saw, but the uh, the technician had an online poll on their Facebook page about what was the most important uh, thing to students, and I think it was overwhelmingly uh, in regards yeah. to tuition oh, and yeah, fees. Definitely. So it's like seventy something percent. Yeah, it was crazy up there. So um, regard with regards to that. I know you guys don't have a direct control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be kind of silly, but you have. <laughs> I'm glad you realized that. <laughs> <laughs> you have some some sort of advocating stance, or I guess a, a little bit of influence there. Um, is it, in your view, would you recommend higher um, or, or smaller increases, or actually just a decrease? What do you think is better for the institution as a whole? Well, I'll say this. I work in the Office of Federal Relations here at State, and I've actually worked on tuition and fees specifically for the last year and a half working for Matt Peterson and Kevin Howe in that office. And Kevin goes downtown and works with the state state legislators a lot. And, um, you know, going down there and having these conversations with them and actually meeting with them and hearing their views, I think a lot of times they don't see the impact that happens here on campus. But I I think when you're going into this job, uh, you really have to have a clear mind of what is realistic. And I think that in the future, we can expect for them to introduce more and more with the current leadership in the state legislature uh, for smaller increases. And and if the, we know that, we need to go down there and advocate for the smallest, smaller increases. Uh, I know that that seems interesting, but I, I also would say that here on campus as a student body president, 
Uh, I think we can do a better job at keeping fees lower because that's something mm-hmm. we can really impact on mm-hmm. this campus as student body president. Not so much tuition, but fees and trying to keep those rates as low as possible for students. I mean, you look at athletics, we're getting a $35 fee increase. And I'm not here to say that's warranted or not warranted, but we can try to keep that down for students because I know students are having a tough time paying their way through school right now. Yeah, I, I think he brought up a really key point at the very end, the difference between tuition and fees. And I'm really glad you brought up because we all want to say that we're going to lower tuition and fees next year. We all want that. You know, I would love to come to school for free, but that's, that's not going to happen. Um, and realistically, if you look at the future, um, we're probably not going to get very much cheaper than we are right now. Um, and as much as it sucks how much we have to pay to come to school here, we're still one of the cheapest institutions in the state. Um, so I, th- I think that plays to us. But I think it is truly moving students, not necessarily to care, but to act. Because I feel like we need more students down at the General Assembly talking to legislators. Because, um, And I use this example all the time, but um, the first student body president um, that was a female basically had a rally against the Vietnam War. So she moved students to act, and that's political, and we're not talking about something political. But getting students to care and having a voice with numbers, I, mean, I think that's really important. And going down specifically for tuition and telling General Assembly, like, you have to put us first. Like, you have to understand we're the future of North Carolina, we're the future of this world, and you have to put education first. Um, but, yeah, fees, we, we have more control over those, and we need to do a better job of making sure those fees are adequately used and if they're really doing all the things they need to be doing with that fee. I believe NC State University is the best university in the nation, and we're a land-grant institution, and we're here to serve the people of North Carolina. And so I believe that when we come here, we should leave with the skills necessary to pursue the jobs uh, that we're, we're destined to go, to go to after we graduate. And we need the skills, and that means we need a 21st century education. And so everything uh, that deals with academics on this campus, most 99% of it comes from tuition. But then a lot of, a lot of times students don't understand that there's really two parts of tuition increases a lot of times. The state will mandate a tuition that will go uh, that will in- increase tuition for every single student in the University of North Carolina system, and then they'll be and then the, they'll give the universities individual universities an option uh, to increase uh, tuition to a certain extent based upon their individual needs. And so the original uh, state mandated increase will go really to fill the coffers of the state to fix other areas in the state. But then the university will increase based upon their needs or whatever else they need to, and that will come directly back to the university. And so I think we need, as a student body president, they need to be aware of the needs of the student body and make sure we protect the integrity of this university and the integrity of the education process here. So I will advocate all I can to keep that increase low, uh, but we've got to make sure we have that, that 21st century education that we all deserve we're paying for. Uh, and the fees, I agree as well. We have a lot of say over that. We need to make sure we're advocating for students. And during this recession, we've got to work hard and to, to advocate for what students need and what they want. And the fees kind of are those extra things. We, we come here to campus and we pay that fee so we can have the, the extra services in addition to our academics. Uh, one thing I'm doing right now as uh, Student Center's president is trying to get this uh, fundraising effort going with the Tally Project. And so if we can, one thing I'm, I want to advocate for, and I'm the, probably the most prepared of all three of us, is I uh, have the knowledge of the Talia Project. And we're getting ready to start this fundraising campaign. And I, one thing I hope to do is to try to find ways to bring in money to assist with extra things on that Talia Project so that eventually in the long run we don't have to pay so much for the students. Okay. Um, we got five minutes left, so we'll try and keep this short. Um, but there was significant momentum last year regarding limiting the type of free speech permissible in the free expression tunnel. Um, do you advocate this movement or not? 
Well, I can say this. I, uh, and I know exactly the incident you're referring to because I worked on the brick this past summer. And, and when that incident happened in the, the picture in the book, uh, led to all the controversy on campus, you know, it was a very, very tough time for me and a few other student leaders. But because of that, something very positive was born. I think the, the, the respect the pack event that came out of it has really created a, some positive change and will be a positive event in the future to really have, you know, a respectful voice on campus. I don't think that, you know, we need to go out and try every single night to watch who's writing what in the free expression tunnel. I think the, the, the video cameras there are there for a purpose, and I think it will prevent people from writing things. I, you know, and I've been, even during this campaign, my signs got graffitied, and there's things on there that I wouldn't, you know, say are indicative of the type of person I am. Uh, but And it's frustrating, and I can completely understand that frustration because I woke up to it at 7 a.m. Uh, but, you know, I think we really, really, it's a fine line, and I think that we are doing um, the right thing by taking a proactive stance on having a respectful talk with events like Respect the Pack, and that's what I really would advocate for more of uh, in the future. Yeah, I think I think when speech negatively impacts another person and it attacks who they are, um, I mean, I think I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I think when other people feel threatened because of something that you've written, mm-hmm. um, that's a problem. Do you think it is the responsibility of student government or the university, however, to step in and say, no, you cannot say that, or, you know, yes, this is deplorable, however, this is, this is you know, an issue of free speech? Mm, that's really, really interesting. I do think that student government, whenever a group of students on this campus is attacked, to stand up and say that that's not acceptable on our campus. Um, when you're getting into the issue of free speech versus hate speech, I think that's also a really fine line, and it's also really important to understand that, Um hate speech no i really have no tolerance for it i don't that that's just it is what it is um there's a difference between saying your beliefs and then completely tearing someone down and I, th- I mean to add on to, to caroline's point i really think that you know we um you know we need to we need to really advocate on behalf of our student body and if 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 we're having students go in there and writing things that are deplorable, I think it really comes down to how we define what the free expression tunnel is. And we need to come out and really, I mean, I know we've done this multiple, multiple times, but really letting students know when they come onto our campus as freshmen uh, and remind them every single year what this tunnel is to us, I think that will really, really make an impact on what type of language we'll see being used throughout the year. I like the idea of developing a statement that the student body can develop and maybe put it over the over the uh, free expression tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it would say, be simply say something like this. Uh, uh, the NC State Free Expression Tunnel is, and let students define what it is. It's a place to express yourself positively. It's a place to respect all people. Um, if we have a statement, and, and I think in anything you do, you have to have a vision for something. And so I don't think that right now we have an ac- adequate vision for what we think the, stu- uh, the, the Free Expression Tunnel should be. Uh, I think one of the best things and the, the best uh, example of collaboration on this campus we've had in a while was the Respect the Pack uh, initiative. And uh, that's something I think it took diversity and dis- the topic and discussion of diversity to a whole different different level. And they did it at the Free Expression Tunnel. And so uh, people would come and they would commit to uh, being uh, reducing hate, hate speech and being proactive uh, in that in that tunnel. And by putting their hand on there, they agreed that that's something that they would try to do. Uh, we need to come together and do that again. Uh, one thing is, I've been advocating for, and I will do it as student body president, is to make that a tradition so that new freshmen coming in, transfer students that are coming in, uh, even the people that have done it before, they can come back on, come back into campus that first few weeks of camp on, of classes 
and make that commitment again to keep it fresh in our minds because you know if we if we let something uh, go by for a couple of years, eventually people forget about it, and we've got to keep that fresh in our mind how we want to how what we want to make our our, our free expression tunnel. All right, be on the lookout. It will be happening this year. It Excellent. will be happening Wolfpack Welcome Week 2012. So be on the lookout for right. the past. Excellent. I'll be there. Um, so we've got just a couple seconds left. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Basically, one final question. Keep this keep it real short. Uh, you know, two sentences or less. Mr. Walsh, why should I vote for you? Why should you vote for me? Uh, I have an incredible team behind me who have really helped me through this. I have a lot of passion. I bleed red and white. Uh, you know, I've been been working in student government for three years, and uh, I think that I can take it to to the next level and really help change the student experience academically and socially. Miss Yop. Um, what I'm really here to do is support students on this campus. That is my role. I'm here to represent the underrepresented students on this campus, empower them, not just give power to myself, and to really make NC State a better place, a place that every single person can love. Uh, I love NC State University. I love the Wolfpack and everything that goes along with it. And something I want to do, I want to be the advocate for every single student that walks on this campus to uh, help build that social and the academic atmosphere that we ha- we are proud to have here at NC State University to a- to advocate for uh, the necessities within the classroom and, the- and outside the classroom, uh, to go green and be more sustainable, to reduce the tally, tally fee if possible, and-, and to make sure that students feel welcome and they leave this university saying, I'm proud to be a member of the Wolfpack. And that's why I'm here and that's what I'm running for student body president. All right, excellent. Uh, Mr. Walsh, Ms. Yop, Mr. Smith, we thank you very much for joining oh, thank us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. And um, polling polling is open until uh, midnight, so if you haven't voted yet, be sure and go out. We wish you the best of luck. Thank, thank you. you all. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, so stick around. We'll have more. While Republican frontrunners are battling each other for the primaries, the Wake County GOP invited none other than Herman Cain to speak at their convention last Thursday at the NC State Fairgrounds. Just like the National Party, the Wake County GOP is split up with its various factions, but last week they came together to unite against President Obama. Despite suspending his campaign in December, Kane continues to tour the nation. He said it's only natural to stay in the game. And my purpose is threefold. To inform, encourage people to be involved, and to inspire them. Some people believe that Barack Obama cannot be beat. If I believed that, I wouldn't be here. Kane said he was reluctant to get out of the race in the first place. He blames it on this. The thing in this race that surprised me the most, I did not expect. And that was a series of false accusations. And one online publication, publication, that made it their mission in life to try and destroy my reputation. And that surprised me. I believe I surprised a lot of people in this race, which is why there are some elements out there that did not want to see me succeed. I don't know who all those elements were, but when one publication writes hundreds of articles about the same false accusations over the course of a month, you know that that's not what I call professional journalism. In the midst of controversy, he still continues to campaign. Here's his reasoning. Let me also say for the record, I will support whoever the Republican nominee is. That's number one. Number two, I will also consult with the ultimate Republican nominee and give them the benefit of what I'm learning being out here not as a candidate. 
And being out there not as a candidate means going out to events like the Wake County GOP convention. However, this meeting seemed more like a tent revival. Kane played it by ear. And here's where I disagree with President Obama. We are a Christian, Judeo, God-believing nation. For the rest of the speech, Kane tried to inspire Republicans to go out and vote. He encouraged them to keep an open attitude because that's what it will take to defeat the Democrats, according to Kane. In unusual Kane fashion, he left them inspired in the most non-traditional sense. And as the famous philosopher Emeril Lagasse said, kick it up a notch in 2012. I know he was not a philosopher, but the man in man man folks going to say he's not a philosopher. I know that. Stay informed. To stay informed, you could follow the rest of Kane's Solutions Revolutions, or you could just keep on listening to Eye on the Triangle. From NC State Student Media, I'm Mark Herring. In case you missed it, last week was Ag Week, an NC State tradition that celebrates this university's close history with the agriculture community of North Carolina. The celebrations included games, food, and contests, and Jake was right there in the middle of it all. Last week was Agricultural Awareness Week, a celebration of North Carolina's agricultural history, still one of the biggest industries in the state. Alpha Zeta, an agricultural fraternity that was a major organizer of Ag Awareness Week, was hosting a cow milking contest that Tuesday. Now, the week beforehand, I had agreed to cover this story because a friend of mine found that he was unavailable. It sounded like a fun enough story to cover. So I got to the brickyard at about 12.45, and it stopped storming several hours earlier. The sun had come out. It was going to be one of those muggy spring days. So I spoke with Ashley Kirby, one of the Alpha Zeta organizers, and she immediately asked me if I was ready to begin the contest. As it so happens, I wasn't there to cover the contest. I was there to be in it. I had not been informed. Now, I know that for many students that have grown up on or around a farm, this is not a big deal. But I was born and raised suburban. I'd never milked a cow, nor had I ever particularly had an urge to do so. But I was there for a reason, and I thought, why not? I might as well give it a shot. So I'm about to take part in a cow milking contest. I've never milked a cow before. I've never really been around cows much. So I guess we'll see how this goes. I followed Ashley to where they were unloading the cows. Big Holstein cows, the kind you picture when you think of dairy cows. You know, the classic black and white bovine. There were two of them. I was going up against Dr. Richard Reich, Assistant Agriculture Commissioner for the state. We shook hands and I asked him if there were any tips for someone who'd never milked a cow before. Laughing, he told me, just don't squeeze too hard or the cow might kick you. Great. So finally, it was time to start. Okay. Contest is getting ready to start. You know, I don't know. I had 60 seconds to get as much milk as I could into the pan they put underneath the cow. I put on the purple gloves they gave me and got ready to milk. How much is it supposed to be coming out? Is that is that it, really? Okay. I don't know. I'm like missing. It's not getting in the bucket. There we go. There we go. That was a big one. <laughs> oh, there we go. See, now it's coming out. I got this. I got this. All right, it really go. wasn't so bad. 
Unfortunately, it took me about 30 seconds to get the hang of it. Apparently, there's a certain way to go about milking a cow. I was not using that particular method. After 60 seconds was up, they blew the whistle and poured the milk into a jar and compared it with Dr. Reich's jar. I did not win. Well, <laughs> just milked my first cow. Ag Awareness Week is an NC State tradition that stretches back over 30 years. Agriculture has always played an important role here at the university. I was proud to do my part to keep another great NC State tradition alive. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. Humanitarian crisis in North Korea is no secret to the international community. And although Kim Jong-il may be gone, it seems the situation is not getting any better. Last week, the activist group Liberty in North Korea paid a visit to our campus, screening their film, The People's Crisis, in the Witherspoon Student Cinema. DeAndre Jones has more. Imagine a world in which you have to worry about getting your next meal because you're not sure if the government is going to feed you. A world in which the government tells you exactly what you're going to do and if you decide not to follow their law, you are punished by extremely harsh means. This world you are imagining is North Korea today. This is why I was joined in the studio by a nonprofit organization called Liberty in North Korea. They are one of the nation's only sources of awareness and funding toward the cause of freeing North Korean refugees. When they decided to put a screening on at NC State, I decided that I had to get them all on the radio to let you guys know what is happening across the ocean on the other side of the world. I'm here with Jessica Collier, Jess Steffen, and Sean Ferry. And I guess my first question for you guys is... What exactly is Liberty in North Korea? Liberty in North Korea is shortened as LINK. So LINK is a nonprofit organization based out of Torrance, California, which raises awareness on the human rights crisis in North Korea. And we also assist North Korean refugees who are hiding in China, and we help them find resettlement in a safer country. So could you tell us a little bit about what exactly is going on in North Korea? So in North Korea currently today, there are tons of violations of, of basic human rights. The North Korean government is systematically oppressing their people by refusing them the basic liberties of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of movement. Uh, there is no freedom of press or, or freedom of information. Um, and is there are... There are arbitrary laws in place that can have people punished, sent to political prison camps for something as simple as speaking out against uh, the regime or accidentally sitting on a picture of the leader, Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il. So it is just a, a country that is really just violating its citizens' basic human rights. The death of Kim Jong-il was a pretty big deal, especially on CNN and, and all the uh, news shows like that. So has that affected what you guys have been doing or has it changed anything at all? The death of Kim Jong-il does not change anything that we do. We're not sure what that means for the North Korean people. So we are going to continue our work that we do on the ground in China and in our safe house in Southeast Asia. I see. Jess, do you have something that you'd like to add to that answer? 
Yeah. Uh, so, so the death of Kim Jong Il means that that leader is is no longer running the country. But unfortunately, the regime is larger than just one person. Uh, his son Kim Jong Un has taken over, and in the short to long term, we see no changes uh, in the North Korean regime. All of those policies are still in place. Their people in North Korea are still starving and having their rights violated, and uh, North Koreans are still fleeing. And there are still thirty to fifty thousand North Korean refugees who have escaped North Korea and are currently in hiding in China today. And those people People still need rescue and resettlement, which is what Link aims to do: is to seek those refugees out and uh, help them find freedom in in a safer country. So, you guys are nomads for Link. What exactly does that mean? What do you guys do for the organization? Well, as nomads, we well first it starts off we train in LA for five weeks. So we do five weeks of training where they pretty much educate us on. Everything we would need to know about North Korea, so we can pretty much become professionals on the issue. And then we're also booking tour in those five weeks, so we're just contacting colleges, high schools, and churches to see if they are interested in hosting a screening. And then after all that training and booking period is over, we actually hit the road and go off to our selected route, whether it's the northeast, the southeast, which is what we have, Heartland, Cal West, or the Pacific Northwest. And then we go to the places that we contacted and just meet up with different people that might be interested in getting to know more about Link. And we present our documentary to students and churches and just inform people as to what's going on and living in a van for about 10 weeks. It's pretty exciting and you get to lose a lot of sleep and... <laughs> eat bad fast food and but it's still like a really great experience because you learn so much about yourself and get to know your two teammates and it's super fun that sounds cool in its own way um (laughs) i went so i went to the screening last night it was really good and i saw that you guys put a lot of emphasis on spreading awareness what exactly does spreading awareness do to help north koreans in their crisis Awareness is important because the the North Korean issue is just so largely ignored. And the first step in pursuing an end is getting people to really start the conversation. Step one is making sure that people know. And then from there, we we can continue our work and continue to to pursue an end. Also, a little fact from the screening, if you weren't there, the documentary showed different link workers that were actually in China and in Southeast Asia um, helping to bring North Korean people over the borders and into a free country. So my question to you guys is, this this one's for each of you, would you ever consider going over into China and actually performing in that part? If opportunity did present itself, I'm not sure if I would do it. It's something that I would maybe consider doing because it is definitely something I'm interested in. I'm definitely interested in helping bringing refugees to freedom, but it is extremely risky to do all that, maybe as a one-time thing. Yeah, I definitely understand the amount of thought that it would take to make that sort of decision with your life. What about you, Jess? As far as if uh, the opportunity for me to become a protection officer ever presented itself, it would definitely be something that I would need to sit with for a very long time before making a decision because, like Sean said, it is very scary and it's dangerous and it's something I have a heart for and I'm very passionate about this cause. But as of right now, as a 21-year-old girl, I don't know that I'm equipped enough to to take on something like that. Ask me again in five years. (laughs) What about you, Jessica? I've actually thought about protection, uh, the protection officer position. The only thing that really turns me away from it is that it is extremely dangerous. Um, if we were to be found out in uh, Southeast Asia, then um, we would have to abide by the laws of that country. And also, it's it's like a year commitment 
Like, I'm 18. And so, like Jess said, it's something that I would definitely have to sit with for a while. Maybe in the future, I would consider doing something like that. That's all I've got for you guys today. Do you guys have anything else that you'd like to say to everyone out there? So if you want more information on Link, you can visit our website at linkglobal.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at linkglobal. And if you're interested in being friends with us on Facebook, our team on Facebook with the Southeast Nomads, you can add us at facebook.com slash Southeast Nomads. This has been an interview with uh, the Nomads from Liberty in North Korea. Um, as always, share with us on our Facebook and Twitter if you guys have any sort of opinions about this issue or if you went to the screening. My name is DeAndre Jones for Eye on the Triangle. Thank you. Next, here's what's going on around campus. Hello, this is Grant Buckner with this week's Community Calendar. On Wednesday, March 28th, the program Army Veterans, a Kaleidoscope of Health Roles will be held at the NCSU Veterinary School beginning at 4.45 p.m. Also on Wednesday, the documentary Dirt, the movie, will be playing Witherspoon Student Cinema with free admission starting at 7 p.m. If that doesn't pique your interest, check out Music from the British Isles, also starting at 7 p.m. in Stewart Theater in Tally Student Center. Only $5 for NC State students. On Thursday, March 29th, join Chancellor Woodson as well as Mr. and Mrs. Wolf in the Brickyard starting at 10 a.m. for NC State Thank You Day. The festivities will include 500 free t-shirts, prizes, including $10 to $25 gift certificates to Noodles, East Village Hot Box Pizza and Chipotle, also Howling Cow Ice Cream, a congratulations cake for seniors, and much more. Starting at 6 p.m. on Thursday, artist Tom Shields will speak about his work Family Bench at the Greg Museum and Tally Student Center with free admission to the public. Also on Thursday, March 29th, the classic movie Fight Club will be playing in Stewart Theater for free starting at 7 p.m. Other showings will be on Friday at 9 p.m., Saturday at 11.59 p.m., and Sunday, April 1st at 9.30 p.m. Also in Witherspoon, starting at 10 p.m. on Thursday is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, only $2 for admission. There will be another showing of Ghost Protocol on Friday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday, April 1st at 7 p.m. If Ghost Protocol doesn't provide you with enough action, check out Inglorious Bastards Friday at 11.59 p.m. On Saturday, the College of Veterinary Medicine will have an open house starting at 9 a.m. with free admission. On Sunday, April 1st, Raleigh Civic Symphony will be performing at Stewart Theater and Tally Student Center at 4 p.m. with $5 admissions for students and $10 general admission to the public. On Monday, April 2nd, Chris Hughes, co-founder of Facebook, will be delivering a speech in Harrelson Hall at 3 p.m. Free admission to the public. Playing Monday at 7 p.m. at Weatherspoon Student Cinema is a 1992 film, Juice, with free admission. And finally, next Tuesday, April 3rd, Grains of Time will be performing at 8 p.m. at Stewart Theater. $5 admission for students and $10 for the general public. For more information on these events, go to ncsu.edu forward slash calendar. Now for the answer to last week's riddle. The answer was a ship. Wooden birds with white wings, maws filled with cloths, sugar and salt could only be describing a ship of a bygone era. This week's riddle is as follows. Sometimes I bring happiness to people who are unhappy. When you're beneath the ground, I lay on your mound. I bloom all day long till the, sun, till the moon shines bright, and I sit in light all day and all night. You'll be seeing a lot of these really soon. If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. Until next week. Good night.